What's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the highway with Kyle Shut. I am up so early, tackling life, doing the damn thing. I hope you're all doing the same thing. I got such a special guest this week. Another name you might not know, but that you should. Mr. Dave Crooks. He's a video game developer that works for a company called Dodge Roll. And uh, we're going to talk about all things video games this week. I am so excited. So much more goes into making a video game than people realize, and we're going to get to the damn bottom of it. As always, if you like what you're hearing on this show, ring that little bell, click that little button, flip somebody the bird. I don't really care, but it all, all, all of it helps out this show, especially flipping people off. And If you want to go one step further and throw a few dollars in my proverbial hat, you can find us at patreon.com slash the highway. For a few scant dollars a month, you can... Help me keep the lights on. Even get yourself a shout-out on the program. Get early access to next week's episode. Help me put a six-pack of beer in the fridge. We got all kinds of shout-outs. We got uh, Gary LaRoe. Thank you. My, my boy, Burt Davis. My Bursky. Guy would sell. Adam Johnson. My girl, Nika Rogers. Little Master P. And uh, we even got a new guy in the mix. Kevin, the dude guy. I love it. I love you all so much. And I also have endless love for our sponsors, Heil Sound. Because if you like the way I sound, it's because there's a Heil in front of me. That is enough of the chit-chat. I'm ready to talk about video games. Let's do things my way, baby. The Highway. Hey, buddy, what's up? Hey, man. Uh, not much. How are you? <laughs> li- li- life in the uh, in the afterworld, as I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, the the mid apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's still the early stages of the apocalypse because yeah. uh, people are still getting fat. Yeah. Um, we ha- <laughs> we haven't really hit uh, full stage famine yet. Yeah. But uh, Dave Crooks, everybody, uh, the co-creator of Enter the Gungeon and uh, Exit the Gungeon, a phenomenal, uh, brutally difficult video games. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate you. Uh, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, to I, I know video games have been a huge part of pop culture and everything the last you know forty years almost, but um, it's still, I mean, to me at least, it's still kind of like a mysterious art of the creation of video games and uh, video game developers and studios and things like that are very much, uh, I believe, the rock stars kind of of our our age because. Uh, don't get me wrong, uh, I, I love rock and roll, but you know it's it's certainly not like the the years of decadence that it used to be or anything like that. Not that uh, game developers are nearly as um, wild as uh, as crazy there rock stars are a few. used to be. But uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just hoping uh, that you could. Uh, I'd love to ask you about um, just how you got into uh, game development and uh, what uh, yeah, what games sort of led you down that path of wanting to do that. Sure. Uh, well, I was pretty much ever since I can remember I wanted to make video games um I like I went to a daycare uh because my parents like worked full-time and they got like a Nintendo Entertainment System basically right when it came out and as soon as they had that like no kid there wanted to do anything else obviously <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can relate <laughs> yeah so like pretty much from the jump from the NES you know kind of consumed me and then you know I I played everything I could but it was like 
1998, I think, when Metal Gear Solid 1 came out, that I kind of like uh-huh. played it in one sitting and was like, oh my god, video games, like, they're toys, but like, they're also art. <laughs> um, and I was like, I have to be a part of this. So I kind of like, I was in middle school at the time and I kind of adjusted my idea of the future of my life to hopefully map onto making video games and my I decided to go down the art path basically and I was hoping to do like 3D animation so I ended up going to an art college and after doing that for a couple years I got really like disenfranchised with the entire endeavor and decided to study uh, like film but as literature, so not actually going and filming things, but like, like if you were an English major and you read a book, you know, and then you write about the book, <laughs> like that's what I would do for film, you know, and writing books about movies. Yeah. I love it. And so basically, it's like writing songs about music. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I kind of totally like went the other direction. And right when I graduated college, I was killing time before, uh, well, I, I had applied to go, uh, take a job in Japan, but it wasn't, I wasn't supposed to leave for six months. So I was like, well, I'll take a class on game design at the college, <laughs> you know, just to kill time. Cause I had six months and the teacher ended up being a producer at Bioware. And as soon as I figured that out, I just like got up in her shit and was like, please give me a job, please give me a job. So I got a job uh, updating, like, Bioware Mythic's Facebook page. And I was going to say, what was, like, yeah, the, the what were they working on at that time? They were transitioning, well, they, they were working on a bunch of, like, older, they were, like, maintaining a bunch of older MMOs, like Warhammer Online, okay. Dark Age of Camelot, uh, Unreal, no, Ultima, sorry, Ultima uh, Online, and... Uh, I came in sort of as those those products had already been out for ranging from, you know, a few years to a number of years in the case of Ultima Online. And uh, I was basically like helping with the website and, you know, doing Twitter and every day. Uh, oh, and then they had just started working on a spinoff to Warhammer Online called Wrath of Heroes. And then they were working on Ultima Forever. Would, um, they were sort of like pivoting to being like a more free-to-play studio because they were owned by EA. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and so I was, you know, doing Facebook stuff. And then I, the way that I kind of got into actually being on the game team was being extremely, same way that I got the job, being belligerent, going over to the game team, being like, got any crap work you don't want to do? You want to have me do for you? <laughs> <laughs> and I just did that all the time. And then eventually when a slot on the game team opened up, they were like, you know, this is, I'm assuming this is what they said. <laughs> they were just like, why don't we just get that guy who's always in our, you know, in our shit, like to come over. Uh, he already knows how to use the tools. You know? <laughs> and so then I got moved over and it was great. Um, and yeah, so that's how I got into it. And then, not too long after that, a couple years after that, um, EA killed Mythic, uh, made them fall on their sword, and uh, I was right at that point that I gathered my favorite people at the studio, and like we formed our own little studio, and that's when we started working on Gungeon. 
Man, that's wild. Like it's the, I mean, you hear stories about, you know, record labels and stuff folding or, or this or that and everything, but like the, the way that video games are made, this is just from my outside perception. It's just like they, you know, these huge companies need this game cranked out like super fast relatively, you know, cause it takes, you know, years and years to make a game. And then like you have, you know, these companies just hire on like whole departments of people just to make this one game. And the second it comes out, they just crush everyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just, that's like, it. I've heard so many stories about that. That's just crazy to me that they can just keep doing that over time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a thing in the industry. Um, there are, you know, there are studios that are like known to be better about it. There's, there's uh, publishing houses that are known to be worse about it. But it, it basically you you keep bringing people on to get it done, and then when it's done, you don't need as many people working on it because, you know, like the overlapping disciplines. That, I mean, to make a video game, there's so many different roles that like at the end by the end of the game. By the end of the development, everyone is kind of firing on all cylinders. And if you release the game and then you're like, okay, let's make a new one. Like 90% of the team has nothing to do (laughs) until the first 10% of the team gets their shit in order uh, to be ready for everyone else to start working in a real way um, on the next game. And so even if things go well, like the game comes out and does well, you still see a lot of people get let go because they're just like well we have like eight months of pre-production to do that you won't have any part of you know uh and and on the other hand (laughs) there's people leaving voluntarily because you know the game industry is definitely a meat grinder uh and so they're at the end after the game comes out they're like oh i'm moving to canada and i'm just gonna live in the yukon you know and (laughs) like bury myself (laughs) in snow for a year and then i'll come back and i'll do it again you know I've definitely felt that way after like crazy, you know, like a, a, a three year tour cycle where I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to the Caribbean for a while. Like just yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll call you when I'm done. But, uh, my God, dude, I, I just, um, it, it still like fascinates me what a team like that can all do together. Cause like, you know, you play one game. I, I'm just, well, I know our, one of our mutual favorites is dark souls. Yeah. Um, like a game like that that just is so sprawling and has so many elements and has to work so quickly and everything like that. It's just, it, it's insane to me. D- does From Software have the same kind of setup where there's just like hundreds of people working on getting this game together? I just wonder like how difficult it is to get that many people to do their job and for it all <laughs> to fit together correctly. Well, From Software is kind of, they're not the only people that get stuff out at the pace they do. But they are kind of an anomaly in that how fast they build the size of games they do, and part of uh-huh. part of it is because um, and some of this is me uh, extrapolating from like various pieces of data I have, and some of it is things I've been told explicitly. But I mean, From Software is an old company; they have been making games forever, and the people who were making the games at the beginning of From Software are still there making games. Usually, you know, the people have left, but like the a lot of the main creative forces are still there. And uh-huh. so they just really know how to make a game pretty fast. Um, and they, because of Dark Souls' success, they have a lot of money. So yes, they have hundreds of people working there to just, you know, churn things out. And it takes a couple of, you know, they're getting, they're, they're getting their games out in like two to three year dev cycles. Uh, apparently this the new one that's coming out, Elden Ring, is 
taking a little bit longer, but if you look at the cadence of Dark Souls, Demon Souls to Dark Souls 1 to Dark Souls 2 to Dark Souls 3, it's like there's two years in between each one of those. And they also had Bloodborne and Sekiro come out. Yeah, that's just nuts, man. And also the Elden Ring, the new one that they're working on, it's in conjunction. Uh, it's like a collaborative, uh, collaborative effort with G- uh, George R. R. Martin. Am I? That's right. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that I could see why that would end up taking away a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> normal game of theirs. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but still, they're, they're a, a world class developer. I love all their games. Uh, I haven't played Sekiro yet, but um, w- one day, one day I, I will work up the nerve um, to, to tackle good. that one. I mean, Dark Souls is hard. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but yeah, for, I, I think it was you that told me Sekiro. Like, there is no alternate strategy. <laughs> yeah. You just have to be excellent yeah. to continue. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. I, I hardly have any time to game anymore. It's one of my huge uh, passions in life. But uh, I don't know. You get older, you have some kids and stuff like that. It kind of gets in the way. But I still, I, I still try to carve out some time. Um, I'm actually replaying Dark Souls right now. Um, oh, nice. I, I had never played as a, a faith build, so I wanted to. Um, I wanted to create a cleric knight, and um, right now in my current journey, I am cursed, and I am uh, <laughs> I'm a fool because I accidentally attacked the moss woman uh, merchant oh. who sells purging stones. Yeah. So yeah, I'm having to fight through uh, the New Londo ruins uh, with half stats in an attempt to find the healer. Uh, so yay! I've i love I make great decisions. I want to say uh, <laughs> I want to say if you buy the. Uh, the sin absolving thing from the guy at the top of the tower after the gargoyles in the bell tower yeah i think that works for unpissing off the npcs but it it does but it's 500 souls uh, level and i'm like uh, level 43 right now i see and yeah yeah. (laughs) i I don't really feel like grinding out twenty thousand souls to waste on that so i i think i can get through it i i've uh i have I don't have any commitment problems uh, at all. <laughs> so it's, it's also too late to start a new game, so I'm just like, ah, fuck it, yeah. I can do it. Uh, well, cool. But uh, but yeah, with, with me uh, starting games, um, I I was sort of born into a, a family with some older cousins that had an Atari 2600S, and um, so I grew up playing, you know, uh, hide and peek, and uh, uh, I think we had like the ET game. It was just like the notoriously the worst game of all time. Oh yeah. But, um, so, and I love that. And then we got an NES, um, I think I was like six, maybe around then six or seven. And I remember, yeah, that makes sense. One of the first games I got for, yeah. One of the first games I got for it was, um, the Chippendales rescue Rangers game, (laughs) which was like so fun. I I loved that cartoon and I loved that game. Um, video games back then were hard. They're a lot harder. I think that people give them credit for, they think like, you know, they might be archaic technology. So they think the games would be easy, but it's actually quite the opposite. It was really really difficult um some of those early games uh were that what what were some of your favorite uh just first wave nintendo games uh well i mean i the first game i think that i ever played was super mario and so that definitely holds like this you know place of like if not one of my favorites it's certainly like the cornerstone you know like i remember it very very absolutely but other than that at that time, I was super into, like, all the Mega Man games. Um, oh, God, dude. Yeah, so Mega Man... I've still yeah. never beat Mega Man 2. That pisses me off. That's the only one I... <laughs> I just... I can't get past the Dr. Wily's Castle, uh, oh, yeah. unfortunately. But. Uh, it's super hard. I mean, I've pl- I played it, like, every few years uh, since then, basically. And 
I definitely have gotten worse. Like when I was a kid, I like <laughs> I had nothing to do, so I would just throw all my energy into mastering it. And at the time, you know, every game basically killed you and that was it. You know, you had to start over because it was all coming right. it was all the design totally. was coming from like arcade games, you know. So it was like meant to be hard so that you had to like spend more time with it, therefore more money. And so like all this yep. design is like getting ported over from the design of arcade games onto the NES, you know, you didn't have to put any more money into it, but it was still very difficult. And yeah, like, but then as I got older, I just like, and then you, you're playing easier games because games, as you said, like generally get easier. So you, you like try to pick up Mega Man 2 now and it's just like, man, not only is it harder, but like it feels so much harder because like everything else that I play is, you know, so oh, forgiving I think you know, one, in uh, comparison. Yeah, uh, Battletoads was another one. Oh yeah. The, the Battletoads game was God damn impossible. I just, I can't even, I don't think I beat it. There were very few uh, NES games that I actually took to completion. I did beat Metroid. Uh, I know that I did beat Castlevania. But that might be it. Yeah, I think I did beat Mega Man 2. And I, but that might be the only Mega Man that I've beaten. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I've beaten Mario 1 and 3. Uh... Yeah, and I don't really remember yeah, too many others. <laughs> I don't think I beat two. I, I did beat three. I, I I do remember that now, but I don't think I beat one or two. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, like there was a you get frustrated after a certain point when you're when you're at that age and you're like, I gotta play this whole game again. Ugh, no. But uh, that's why I like Dark Souls so much. It's because it's <laughs> like that. It's like if you go far enough down a level and you die, you're fucked, man. Like. <laughs> Like to get your souls back, you got to start at that bonfire again and go all the way, and uh, it can be discouraging. But I don't know. I I appreciated the challenge when it came out. Um, what, what what can I say? But um, another thing that uh, I, I I do love console games. But uh, my dad actually um, he had a an early PC. I don't know exactly what PC it was, but he had um, he had gotten a couple of games for it. This would have been when I was around. Seven, eight years old, something like that. Um, he had the uh, the Zork games. Oh yeah, that were just. <laughs> I don't know if, if people know this, but a Zork was a text based game where you just wake up. I can't remember the the first thing, but it's like you wake up in a dark room, yeah, and then you type in like like feel around on the floor, and it's like you feel uh, flint to make a fire, and then you build like strike the flint, build a fire, and then you just some you see somebody sitting in the corner now that there's light in the room, and then so you just type, 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 and go all along. I, I used to sit in my room and draw out these maps of all these games and everything just because, like, I don't know, like, to me that was just fascinating to play a game with no graphics. Uh, it seems <laughs> kind of laughable now, but um, it's, I, I, I haven't really seen another game attempt to do something like that that was actually good that didn't make it seem like a choose your own adventure game you know it was almost like borderline D&D like a next level D&D kind of thing Um, but uh, did you ever mess with any Zork games yeah uh, (laughs) anything like that yeah I did actually I played I played definitely played the first Zork I I, I think I've played a number of the Zorks afterwards even after they they did get graphics Um, but yeah I I did play those too the Nemesis and uh, (laughs) Zork 3 and and all that or uh, Zork 5 I think Grand Inquisitor whichever one that was yeah Yeah, those were hilarious I love those games Um, but yeah there's not too many like I mean every once in a while especially in indie games you'll see some people come out with like text adventure style games actually like last year there was this kind of interesting thing where this this guy basically made an AI like a uh, text venture game where like 
instead of having a preset like list of things depending on wherever you were in the game it like generated stuff for you so you could really type like whatever you wanted and it would you know you could be like it would be like a dragon like lands in front of you like what do you do and you'd be like i cut off the dragon's head and i use it and i drink its blood you know and it would react and it's like you pour <laughs> the blood down your throat and you know feel the you know it gives you indigestion or whatever it, like it would react you know <laughs> And it's all because it was like AI based, but like if you keep pushing at the edges, it like you could kind of see the limits of the technology. But I mean, in a few years, like we're gonna have the best X Adventure games of all time. <laughs> Sign me up, yeah. dude! I am so down. Oh yeah. my god, that's incredible! Um, wow. Uh, but uh, well, this this I know we're getting off on a video game right here. I could talk about games all day, but uh, with when you pair music to a game it's been really crazy to see the evolution of video game music and it's sort of rise in popularity and sort of fall it's not really like there's it came in waves like the music industry did it was just like it's just been implemented in so many different ways you started with like the chiptune stuff that was just programmed sort of as an afterthought yeah um to a lot of the earlier games and then up into obviously when that whenever guitar hero happened you know it was at first it was just one guy you know making his own versions of all these songs that they could build into the 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 game and then um, eventually they had, you know, were able to actually get stems of the recordings from these bands and and put the real music into these games and stuff, which was uh, huge for for bands like Sword and uh, other bands that didn't necessarily have any hits on the radio or anything like that. There was also, of course, the Tony Hawk games yeah. that had just legendary soundtracks and was like a, a huge way of uh, a lot of bands getting exposure that they wouldn't have gotten from something like MTV or, like I said, the radio or anything like that. Right. But um, it's... It, I, I think video game companies realized that having to pay these artists uh, the mechanical royalties for using their music <laughs> over time, it just wasn't uh, it, it didn't make the video game as lucrative as it could have been. And so <laughs> I, I feel like that 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 bubble kind of burst, especially with like the the rock band and guitar hero games. Um, but uh, also, it, it a lot of you know video games they don't really have the time to dedicate or or the, or the budget to dedicate to a person. To, to make music like full time like a studio they were just like and it's kind of like it's even though it's like this much time has progressed music and video games still kind of seems like an afterthought do you think that's a fair statement or is or is it do you, is there something i don't know that's going on uh well there's a lot there but um i think that it i mean there's so much i think that you're right in general uh, it probably it, i mean in the games industry, there's kind of a joke that, like, sound design... Sound at all is, like, kind of an afterthought, um, which is, like... A, well, just because... I, I, yeah. I Not not to insult it, I just mean, like, as, like, you, you build the whole game and then you're like, shit, we need music, go, 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 we need music fast. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's kind of what I meant. Uh, as, as yeah, there's, but there's, like... Uh, I mean, there are lots of studios out there. I mean, like, if you look at something like Nintendo, it's, like, they build musical things into everything they do like it's extremely in the forefront of their design you know like all the sound effects uh -huh. are like playing in with the music i mean even though they wrote all the music like 25 years ago and like it's basically the same you know and they're just remixing it at this point but like it's still really it was really good music you know um oh yeah and you know like any reasonably sized studio is gonna have like in-house composers or they're they have the probably have the money to to pay someone to compose like original music for them mm -hmm. um but like 
on you know certainly on the indie side of things it's like you kind of you know you have to take what you can get what you can afford sometimes you can pay someone in uh, royalties so you know if they like you just say like no the game's gonna do well we promise <laughs> you know uh, and we'll give you a percentage <laughs> if you'll <laughs> make some music for us um but yeah it's it's tough i mean because the thing is like music is extremely special i mean like I'm a game designer, and I know a little bit about programming and a little bit about animation, a little bit about texturing, and a little bit about 3D, and you know, and I know a little bit about everything that goes into making a game. But I don't know shit about music, so it's very hard <laughs> to like appreciate and assign like tangible value <laughs> to something that you fundamentally don't understand. It's like there are songs that I That's like. That's a really, really you know? good point. Yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. And I think that that's the case with like a lot of, um, a lot of people who are in a position to make decisions about like the budget and hiring and everything up regarding music in a game. But I, you know, there is still like a lot of really, like, a lot of studios out there like do do care and do pay attention, but. I do think that you are right. Not, I mean, that's just, just like really, really good points you brought up. Cause like the, the soundtrack for uh, enter the gungeon is uh, done by dose one who is uh, he worked with uh, peeping Tom doing like stuff like that. He's got his, obviously his own career going on and he just, he delivered this insane soundtrack for y'all that like totally encompasses like the, the tongue in cheek sort of like pun feel that that game has um, where I don't know if anybody's uh, out there has played it or not, but it's about, um, a, a world where they're trying to find a gun that can kill the past uh, because uh, they don't like the way that the, the world is now and, and or the, the, or this tragedy that, that happened and um, they're, it, it's but it's it's told through just about a million gun puns <laughs> <laughs> and and it, I, the music just it was like super lighthearted and, and I felt like really um, atypical of your average video game music so I just I really loved y'all's attention to, uh, to detail in that point um yeah, it was just a great video game soundtrack. And um, what, what was that a thing where you just kind of like gave him the game and was like, "Here's the whole game, Make <laughs> music for us." So you know, <laughs> actually, so Dose One was um, brought in on the project really, really early. Actually, before the, the before we even started working, actually, because I had met him at GDC. He was doing. Uh, he was performing. Um, some music that he had done for the Samurai Gun at like a giant bomb cast, uh, which is it's it's a podcast <laughs> from Giant Bomb, um, and he was performing it, and I was sort of like off camera, just kind of drinking a beer, and I had a moment where I was like, I realized that I was a fan of this person from listening to his music, you know, years before, and I didn't, I had been talking to him for ten minutes, and I was like, hey would you do you want to do the music for this game we're probably gonna make soon <laughs> and he was just like sure it like didn't even <laughs> didn't even question it <laughs> and i was like <laughs> okay awesome yes and then uh, and then when story's over that was it yeah that was the fastest story ever. <laughs> well then when mythic ended up crumbling and we were kind of ready to go to start our own studio like the next day i emailed him and i was like hey so 
looks like we are going to make that game. You still want to do the music? And he was just like, yep, let's do it. And so, uh, so he had, he was sort of on board from the beginning, but, uh, he, so he was just like out there. He was playing the game, playing the builds and just kind of working. And he would send us music and we'd be like, great. And then, you know, we give him some feedback, but for the most part, we just let him do his thing because, you know, one thing I learned over the course of developing Gungeon and having to hire a bunch of artists to do various things for us, like promotional art and other things, is like, you don't want to stretch an artist too much, you know? Like, <laughs> you mm-hmm. get somebody who is going to do, you think is going to deliver you within their, like, what they like to do. Because, like, if you if you try to hire, like, a cartoonist to, to draw something super realistic, it's just... It's not going to work out for you, you know? So we, like, I knew that he did this very particular, like, stylized, like, vocal percussive, uh, you know, beats. And I was like, that is very different from what you hear in a lot of pixel art games. And I love chiptune music, but I was just like, it's something different and I like it. So let's go with that because I have no better idea. As I said, I don't know much about music. And he just, he worked his ass off and delivered like, you know, 60 sound, you know, song soundtrack, uh, which is bananas, you know. It's a lot. That's like six albums worth <laughs> yeah. of material. I mean, that, that's yeah. a, it's a lot of music to, to create for a video game, especially something that honestly somebody might mute and play their own music too <laughs> yep. or, or something which is which is uh heartbreaking to hear as a musician but uh, i've definitely done it before um uh <laughs> uh what was i gonna say where was i um oh yeah back in the day um uh, i was gonna say like a cd or, or record labels used to put out records like i remember seeing this sticker on like jackal CDs and like a couple other I can't remember exactly who but there was a sticker on it that like Sega must have paid for it or something that would say like this CD would go great while you're playing your Sega games huh. you know what I mean and things like that I thought that was crazy to see that um when it comes to video game development and and putting that team together and stuff I couldn't help but notice that it's very much like the music industry and that you're a band and your your album is your game and then to get that game out, you could you could put it out DIY or, or you know however you want to look at that. But um, also there there is a record label sort of aspect in in the publisher. I mean, is that correct in, in thinking that 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 sort of relationship kind of tier goes the same way because your publisher is the one that's going to get it out to stores and get you distribution and and things like that, kind of like a record label would. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the the comparison is, I'm. I, there's probably few better comparisons, uh, like between <laughs> industries. It's it's exactly like that, and it, especially on an indie game, you know, in an indie team where you know we were a four-man team plus Dos One and our sound designer, but it was four of us like in my room or in my living room, you know, for two years, just working every day for twelve hours <laughs> and you know, all of the, like, interpersonal, you know, like, friction that comes with Mm -hmm. that, uh, that I can imagine might, uh, you know, come forth should you be, say, in the back of a van driving around. Um, 12 hours a day, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and then, yeah, so, like, when it comes time to, like, okay, we're making the game, but, like, how do we get it noticed? How do we get it, like, promoted, all that stuff? Like, we don't 
that's not our expertise and more importantly we're not really interested in like doing it all ourselves you know obviously we want input so that's where like having mm-hmm. a publisher comes in and so we like pitched the game to a few different publishers but we went with devolver digital and so they handled they gave us some money for marketing and development um and then like they handled sort of the marketing structure and they like negotiate deals with uh, distribution platforms and various things like that on our behalf and then they take their cut you know and I love Devolver Digital. They've been incredibly good to us and we're personal friends with them. So it worked out really well for us. But uh, there are, you know, there are like sort of similar sounding horror stories in the games industry, particularly the indie games industry, um, with their publishers that I, I mean, it sounds just like reading something went terribly wrong with a band's label. So it seems like pretty much same sort of thing yeah that that's that's really crazy to think about just i mean just like any band there's a million bands out there but only like a few are going to rise to the top only if there's for as many people that it takes to make a video game and for as much money as it takes and everything there are so many games it's crazy and it's almost um I, i see a lot of parallels in the film industry too where where like like being in a band is really like instantly satisfying because like you you're you get to play your songs in a room. Well, we used to anyway. Let's, <laughs> let's think about the past for a minute. We, you know, play your songs in a room full of people, anywhere between a hundred or a thousand or however many people, and they're all going nuts and they're all in your face screaming and you're having a great time and stuff like that. But when you're making a movie, you know, you're there's no people in your face screaming. There's no, you know, just kind of like just intense like intensity, you know, but between a, a core group of people just like making this crazy noise that's like bigger than the sum of its parts and uh you just there's you know when you're making a movie there's all these moving parts and you're kind of filming and it's real quiet and everyone is kind of like has a different idea of what it should be and then you know years goes by between the editing and this and that and then by the time it finally gets distributed and the movie's released and then it might suck like maybe you spent like four years making a movie and it totally sucks you know and like there's nothing it could be worse than that but like with video games too it almost seems like you just because you never know what's going to get hot you you, you spend yeah. years making this thing and then then i don't know like but but maybe as you go along you might realize that it sucks i don't know because <laughs> at least you can play a game like with a movie you don't really get to see a movie until it's done you know what I mean? right yeah <laughs> but, no i i remember like i read a lot of like film blogs and stuff and i'm always fascinated when i read an interview with like some actor and they're like oh i haven't seen it yet you know but it's like coming out in a day you know it's just like right i on the one hand i completely understand that because like if i was doing an interview on camera like i would never watch it but on the other hand like they're a professional actor so it feels like they should be more used to being on camera maybe they just don't care you know they're just like my craft is the thing that i did like i I'm not here as a consumer, you know, um, uh-huh. <laughs> but and, and yeah. there's no changing it too. It's not yeah. like they can, you, you can critique your performance all you want, but at the end of the day, there's still a cinematographer. There's still a, you know, a director, there's still an editor that are all like manipulating that performance. So just because the movie sucks, it might not be the actor's fault. Yeah. Um, and I mean, necessarily and game, both games and movies, like at least larger games, like there's so many people working on it. You know, I think that you, because I've worked on a larger team before as well, and I think you kind of, you definitely do know, 
Like, the, the development team always knows how good the game is before it comes out, you know? Now, they may not <laughs> fully align with the reviews, you know? And sometimes games get robbed for various reasons. But, like, usually the what you hear from a studio before a game comes out is entirely dictated by, like, the marketing team. Like, you're mm. not hearing the people, like, the environment artist, you know, who's, like, working every day, making the shrubs look good. And he he knows intrinsically how good the game is. And, like, he's not tweeting mm-hmm. about it because he'll get fired, you know? So, like, <laughs> so they know. They know for sure, you know? But, yeah, you don't, like, you don't get the gratification until the end of it. I You know, to me, like, I've said this to a lot of people uh, who have, like, asked me about, like, getting into the video game industry. And I'm just like, do you, like, and they're like, should I go AAA? Should I try to start my own thing? And I'm just like, I would say go AAA until you can't stand it anymore and then maybe try your own thing (laughs) because the only people who make it as like mentally as like on the smaller teams are people who like cannot function as human beings without making a video game because that's the Uh that's the type of toll it takes on your life whereas like if you at least if you work for a triple a company even if like you're you might be less emotionally invested in what you're making at least you can leave it any time, you know, and just be happy with the like little slice of it that you did, you know. Um, whereas, like, <laughs> if you make, if you're working on like a, a game for two years with like four people, it's extremely hard not to, at the end of it, be incredibly personally attached to like the words people use to describe it. So, uh-huh. And it's like after two years, like that would be so painful uh, if it went horribly wrong, you know. I can tell you, you know, Somebody's making a record. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I try as hard as I can not to read record reviews of, of recordings that I've been a part of, you know, because it's just you, you, you can't um, you can't dictate how someone is going to take that art. You know what I mean? It's because it's not yours anymore. It's not your album. It belongs to the world. Um, yeah. uh, Brent, uh, who, who also works with uh, Dodgerill, uh, who also helped uh, create Enter the Gungeon for those out there that don't know, mutual friend of ours. Um, he he told me this uh, metaphor in a way that I thought was just, a, or a, maybe it's an, an analogy, I, I apologize. He said that a, a video game is like you build this car <laughs> and you you sell this car, you and it's one car, you built one car and you sell it to this one person and they take it home and then they call you and say, hey, what's up? Yeah, I really, really like this car that I bought from you, but uh, how do you put gas in it? <laughs> and then Brent was like, well, you just open the gas cap and put the gas in and then the person's like well i can't get the gas cap open because it's parked right next to a wall like so how do i get gas in the tank and you're like why is why is the car next to a wall he's like well i put the car on uh, each tire is on a different treadmill and i uh, put a cinder block on the gas and i uh, run that car to spin those treadmills to charge the batteries to power my house and the car ran out of gas and so i can't charge the batteries for my house and so now i need to put gas in the car and i can't get the gas cap open because it's parked next to a wall so how do i get gas in the car and that was like the perfect like you know way to describe like building like coding a game to to be played a certain way, but then you have no idea how these people are going to play the game once it is released. I've seen people play Tony Hawk games that are just like, like, how did you make the game do that? You know, like, yeah. what the hell are you doing, man? You know, and, and things like that. So it's just, it's, it must be like triple infuriating to read these like reviews from people that 
or just that you have no idea how they even approached playing the game. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I but, mean the. <sighs> The guy, Derek Yu, the guy who made Spelunky, like, I think he put it really well. He was like, the player is an agent of chaos. Like, you can do your best to define <laughs> rules for them, but at the end of the day, like, it's it's their party. And I think that it's, so it's, when you play, like, when you read reviews and stuff, it's just like, what? You know? I, I mean, like, how would you review a puzzle game? You know? Like... Uh-huh. unbiasedly like it just it's like well i didn't enjoy not knowing the answer to the puzzle and there were 10 puzzles in the game and i solved them all but i spent 90 percent of the time for each puzzle not knowing and then it was only in the last 10 percent of each puzzle that i do so therefore it's a one out of ten because i was upset 90 percent of the time <laughs> it's like well fuck you man <laughs> like i mean that's like i haven't read a review that bad but like i've I've read a bunch that come really close, you know? Uh-huh. So, yeah. I, I get it when a game is, like, bugged out like crazy. Like, whenever Skyrim came out, don't get me wrong, I fucking love Skyrim. I got the Platinum Trophy that game. <laughs> but, like, it was an insanely frustrating um, experience when it came out. And it still got Game of the Year. How do things like that happen? I mean, it's like, are, can you... Can you just buy like awards? You know what I mean. Is that a thing that happens that we're not allowed to talk about? You know, uh, not, you know? not that I know of. Um, no, I mean a lot of it's zeitgeist. I feel like you know, like what are people talking about? Uh-huh. What lit up Twitter? But in the case of Skyrim, I mean Bethesda's kind of always gotten away with a little bit jankiness for um, you know because there no one is really making games that had the kind of sprawling uh do whatever you want ness you know quite as well as they do you know like they're mm-hmm. not the most polished games in the world but they're definitely more polished than anything that looks like them especially at the time that Skyrim came out you know um that's very true you know now we have like CD Project Red like having done a couple of games that I would say like are eating their lunch and even the guys who made um you know, fall the original fallouts like back in the, the turn the original turn based fallouts uh-huh. like they made with Obsidian they made the outer the outer worlds and that's like you know it's Fallout in space but it's very much a Bethesda style game and it's like they're kind of doing it better than Bethesda so uh, yeah I don't really know like every year I watch the Game Awards you know and I'm like which is like our version of the Oscars. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, I guess <laughs> I don't, it's very hard for me <laughs> to like, to decouple like my thoughts, like as a developer. So video games have a, an award that is given to the games by developers and it's the, the dice awards. And as far as I'm concerned, th- right. those are the only ones that matter. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to like really, unbiasedly like or like even talk about like the the video game awards like that they show on tv it's like it feels very um commercial to me like literally like it's a commercial mm-hmm. like selling me the next one um which like yeah that's like what the grammys are it, yeah. it's a, it's all a it's all fixed <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. I don't really yeah, feel like I answered movie. your question, but I you, I basically started thinking about the, there, the Game Awards. It wasn't much of a question anyway. <laughs> you know, and I just started getting upset at them, <laughs> and then I kind of rambled. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel about the Game Awards. They, they make me upset kind of right. incoherently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's funny because like, especially with games like I think it was when Demon Souls came out as the the predecessor to Dark Souls. Um, it it almost something clicked in my brain around the time, I think Grand Theft Auto, uh, Vice City came out. Like, it, I don't know what made me think this, but I, before that, I always thought about video games are just. They're, like you said, they're just toys, but you they move and you play them and they're art and it's fun and stuff like that. But I never really thought about it just boiling down to me versus the developer. <laughs> and whenever Demon's Souls came out and it was touted as like the most difficult game of all time and you'll never you know get past the first level and this and that, I was like... Fuck that. I just remember thinking like it's just a developer. Like I just I'm not going to let some video game developer tell me that I can't play a game. The fuck that shit. So that's why I went out and bought it. It was almost out of spite. And uh, I was like how hard could this game be and I ran up, you know, the bridge at the beginning of the game and just the first the first undead enemy just like had a broken sword hilt just like boom killed me dead and I was like Jesus Christ, man. Like what yeah. <laughs> what was that? And so I yeah, like I respawned and like went back tried to get him again. Boom, killed me again. I was like no. That was ridiculous. And, like, yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, it took me, like, half an hour to really calm down <laughs> and just have a little patience. I was used to games like, you know, God of War and, and Grand Theft Auto where you just, like, you know, tear through a yeah. a level. And uh, that fantasy. was the first time I had played a game that, that really required uh, patience and finesse. And, uh, and then I uh, discovered that their, their control system was actually, like, allowed you more freedom than just about any other a combat game I had ever played, and I, that's kind of like how I ended up falling in love with the series and 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 followed it throughout its all of its iterations and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It, do you think about that at, while you're developing a game? Like you're like, oh fuck this player, oh, I'm gonna get him good, you know? Or, uh, <laughs> or, you know or, or do you just do you take a a more wider approach and try to like make a piece of art that's fun and entertaining and, and things like that? Because your games are punishingly <laughs> difficult. Uh, well, I definitely. <laughs> I mean, I would say it's a mix. I mean, like, I'm definitely constantly thinking about what the player will think as they approach any situation. Like, what, you know, there's with games, there's so many things happening on the screen at once. A lot of times you have to spend a lot of time really, like, making sure it's all readable. And, like, you kind of have to get into the players. That's why playtesting is so important. You know, you have to, like, understand, like, you might think that this sort of scenario is going to make the player do it this thing and react this way but then you play test it you watch somebody play and like they as you say like they they drive the car up next to the wall on four treadmills and you're just like what the fuck is happening you know like no (laughs) and then and you go back and you're like i don't even know i don't even understand humanity anymore i can't do my job you know uh but then you you know you have a beer and you wake up next day and you start to think about it again but like so sometimes yeah i mean when you're playing you know if designing a boss and the difficulty in his attacks like sometimes it'll be like i know that this attack is going to make the player like move in this way and so i'll (laughs) make the next attack like surprise him and like hit him in this way and so there's there's absolutely that sort of thing and like there was and just on the other hand you know sometimes it's just for fun like there's an achievement in gungeon called i knew someone would do it and you get it for pushing like 10 tables into the pits because you can flip over a table in the game and you can push them around and there's these pits 
And, like, I knew that, like, people would just, like, flip them over. Like, the, the tables cannot go into the pits unless you push them in. Like, no, the physics of the game do not push them into the pits. So you, the player has to, like, manually push these tables across and down into the pits. And you don't get an achievement for one, so you have to keep doing it just as, like... Because you're weird, you know? But I just, as I was doing it, I was like, people are going to fucking do this. And, like, I, so I made us do an achievement for it. And, like, it just was funny watching streamers, like, do it just kind of idly, like, while they're, like, chatting to their audience. And then they get an achievement. I knew someone would do it. And they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I am a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, my God, dude. Okay. Dave, thanks so much for sitting down and talking video games with us for a little bit, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, love your games. Just uh, cannot wait to see what Dodgeroll pumps out next. Uh, yeah, everybody out there, if you haven't played Enter the Gungeon or Exit the Gungeon, it's really hilarious sequel. Uh, please go pick those up. Uh, they're they're available everywhere, right? Through Steam and just any anywhere that sells video yeah, games. Yeah, just Google it. Digitally. You probably, if you go, play video games, you probably ahead. have something that'll play it. Just don't bang it. <laughs> yeah, don't bang it. Do. Who knows what'll happen? Don't bang it. <laughs> also, thanks so much, man. Yeah, no worries. Have a good one. Thanks so much for tuning into the highway this week. A big shout out to Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, and Earthquaker Devices. If you liked what you heard, you can follow where you can follow, subscribe where you can subscribe, and if you want to go one step further, you can support us on Patreon at the Highway with Kyle Shut for a few bucks a month. You can help us keep this party going, get early access to next week's episode, and even get yourself a shout-out. <laughs>